and welcome to what was formerly known as Human Whispers Radio and is now called Generation We. My name is Laylee Eggball and I'm the founder and CEO of the Community School for Human Arts and the MAPS program. It's my hope that we will share with you on a monthly basis tips and tools to help teenagers, their parents, and young adults navigate the many complex emotional, social, and future career and financial challenges they face in life. Most teenagers struggle with motivation, confidence, and feelings of insecurity. They struggle with making good decisions that are in line with what they care about. Often, they're confused about college, their career path, and making money. And youth suicide is on the rise across the country. It's one of the top two causes of premature death of youth between ages 10 and 19. While this may seem alarming, there are programs like my MAPS program that help fill the educational void left by schools in support of our teams with life skills for increased clarity, more self-awareness, effective self-management, better decision-making, and resilience. For those of you who are not familiar with the MAPS program, it's a program for mentoring adolescents and adults for personal and professional success a curated emotional, social, and career educational program specific to ages 13 to 19 and often extending to those in their 20s and early 30s. We provide a fun and enlightening space for our youth to become more successful in their emotional, social, and financial life and set them up to be fulfilled and high-functioning adults. Social and emotional learning is about developing healthy identities, managing emotions, achieving personal and collective goals, feeling and showing empathy for others, establishing and maintaining supportive relationships, and making responsible and caring decisions. Virtually, all educators report that it's critical to develop these key skills, which include self-awareness, relationship skills, self-management, responsible decision-making, and social awareness. And we're just beginning to see this type of education making its way into schools, but it's not fast enough. So ultimately, it's about changing the emotional and social state of our youth from hopeless, fearful, and confused to happy, or what I prefer to call content. Happiness is not a feeling, but rather an experience usually hallmarked by positive thinking, joy, pride, and even laughter. Contentment, on the other hand, is a long-lasting feeling accompanied by peacefulness, gratitude, and satisfaction. I recently read a very disturbing article about the social and emotional health of our teenagers, stating that from 2009 to 2021, high school students who say they feel persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness has risen from 26% to 44%. This is the highest level of teenage sadness ever recorded. Wow. So why is this happening? There are several explanations together painting a powerful picture of the why. The world is overwhelming, with negative news cycles creating an atmosphere of existential gloom. And this is not just for teens, it's also for their parents. Overwhelmed parents in turn bubble wrap their kids, and over time this protective parenting deprives children of the emotional and social resilience they need to handle stress. And then there's social media and the internet, which exposes teenagers to bullying, threats, despairing conversations about mental health and all kinds of unsolvable global problems like pandemics, wars, climate change, and so on. Add to that sleep deprivation, social isolation, and the pressures of life after high school, and that's the why. 
The good news is that programs like MAPS are here to help teens and young adults navigate these challenges. And that's why I've chosen the topic of contentment, happiness, and more broadly, emotional freedom for this month's broadcast. So what exactly is emotional freedom? When we take action on the things that truly matter deep within our hearts, when we move in directions that we consider valuable and worthy, when we clarify what we stand for in life and act accordingly, we experience a powerful sense of vitality. That is contentment and a path to emotional freedom. So the question I've been contemplating for the past month as it relates to contentment, and this applies to teens, is do each of us have the inherent potential to experience a deep sense of self by finding our dharma? And if so, what role does social and emotional education play on this journey? And for those unfamiliar with dharma, it's a Sanskrit word that translates literally to right direction, rightful duty, or righteous living. But the concept of dharma has a far deeper meaning than its direct translation. Essentially, your dharma means your purpose in life. Your dharma is your true calling, what we were put here to do. We're talking again today with Dolores Holitz, who was on our program last time. Today, she's sharing with us on the topic of contentment for teens, the role of dharma, and the importance of social, emotional, and career education as an integral part of parenting and our education system. Welcome again, Dolores, and thank you for spending some time with us today. Hey. Well, thank you, Laylee. It is absolutely wonderful to be with you um, again to talk about what I consider to be some really important and timely topics. Um, you and I have spent some time over the last several months talking about how important I think your school is and how it is critical for young people to really spend time in an objective fashion trying to figure out their purpose in life and how to access the talents that they have. So I think that this is a critical conversation and I'm delighted to be part of it. And you know, my training is such that through the Chopra Center, through working with the American Yoga Academy and also being a business person as well, I can uh, over time attest to the fact that when people are misdirected and do not have the skill sets that they need in order to really take their journeys, it can be a very upsetting and trying and depressing time. Yeah, thank you for, for that um, wisdom. I, I also know that we've had many conversations and I'm very excited to talk to you about um, all of these issues today. Specifically, I'd like to start out with Dharma and why it's so important in our evolution as human beings, starting from our teenage years. You know, <clears throat> it took me a long time to really understand the concept of Dharma. Because I think a lot of people think to themselves, well, my dharma is doing my job. But there's a big difference between earning a living and doing your dharma. It is rare, but a blessing, if you can actually incorporate the two. You know, Deepak Chopra said one time, he's got a great quote that says that everyone has a purpose in life. 
a unique gift or special talent to give to others. And when we blend this unique talent with service to others, we experience the ecstasy and exaltation of our own spirit, which is the ultimate goal of goals. So what I would say on Dharma, for example, is that we all have a reason that we are here. We are born with something to give to the universe with our specific talents and capabilities in a way that we can serve others. That is very different from making a living. Okay, so when we talk about Dharma, we talk about asking ourselves, what puts me into a state of bliss? I'll use me as an example. My profession is I'm CFO of a company. I work a lot on finances. I take care of uh, the uh, financial ends of all of our different businesses. My dharma, what I love to do, how I serve others is through teaching meditation, through teaching yoga, through teaching Ayurveda. Am I making a living at doing those things? Absolutely not. But I am living my purpose by doing those things. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that's your dharma. Right. That's exactly. your dharma. So, um, you know, humans are born with an innate capacity to get a sense of satisfaction from the work they do. Right. Or more broadly, the discovery of their purpose, which is what you're talking about. But these things don't necessarily need to be one and the same. Right. Meaning that you can work at a job, but then fulfill your purpose in other ways. Right. So um, I think that's that's what you were really talking about. Is there anything more that you'd like to say well, on that? You know, I, her, I, I've heard stories before of great writers that took years to get their their first book actually published, their first novel published. But they worked three different jobs actually being able to pay their mortgages, put food on the table, fill their cars with gas, all those things. And I think what happens um, in today's young people, and this is why your school is so important for them, is that they need to understand that there is a difference between meeting specific financial needs and needs for survival, such as putting a roof over your head, uh, putting food in your stomach, paying your bills, doing all those things, and then finding something that gives you a state of bliss. And if you are fortunate enough to be able to merge the two, that's wonderful. But I distinguish between doing your purpose or finding your purpose and making a living in the following way. When you are living your Dharma, you're performing what's called Siva, which is service to others. Dharma is something that goes outside, outside. You are giving what your talents are to other people. Whereas having a job 
is making a living to actually exist within, you know, a specific place and time yeah so there's a huge difference in it and I think a lot of young people come out of college with the un or out of high school or go into college somehow thinking that I need to get out there and my way of making a living has got to be my dharma and I there's two different things it takes a lot of years to get to that point where you understand that there's a huge difference and I think with, with having said that, too, I look <laughs> at my me. own kind of career, you know, and I look at um, where I've ended up with my dharma, very different from the career paths that I've had in, in the past, right? Because it was all about making money. So it was like very clear distinctions of, okay, I'm going to do a job because I, I've got to make money versus how am I going to be of service to others? So ideally, Maybe at a certain point in your life, you can combine the two, but that's not always um, a given. Well, not only is it not always a given, but you also have to pay your dues. There's part of that that goes, you know, you just can't come out and go, this is what I want to do. Be and I think that, you know, you in your introduction, you have this great comment about how parents bubble wrap their kids. I have adult children, but I will tell you, I can see in my grandkids and some of the children that uh, my grandkids associate, associate with and how the parents actually work with their children, they are bubble wrapped. There's a sense of you are so special and so unique that the world is going to just open doors for you. Well, yes, everyone is special. Everyone is unique. But the world doesn't open the doors for you. You have to open the doors yourself. And you have to put the time and the effort in. And I think what happens in this quest for happiness, this quest for I just want to be happy, there's that need to constantly go out there and say, well, this doesn't, this isn't what I want to do. Therefore, I'm not going to do it. And, you know, we all have to pay our dues. We all have to do it. Yeah. And I want to kind of reflect on a, uh, something that the Dalai Lama has said, which is that the purpose of life is contentment, right? And so um, when he was asked what he does or what his job is, he said, nothing. I just take care of myself. And he goes on to say, that's ultimately what we all do. Yes. And I think um, I, I want to sort of get your um, get your perspective on um, the idea of self-esteem. And so when we talk about parents bubble wrapping their kids, what does that do to someone's self-esteem? And why do you think so many teens today are experiencing low self-esteem and um, and they don't necessarily have the tools to understand what that means? But um, what is the difference in your perspective about taking care of yourself and being selfish or entitled, which is some, sometimes what, what our kids feel because it's like, I'm, I don't need to be of service. The, the world owes me something. I'm so special. So I'm curious about what your perspective is on that. Well, it's really interesting. When I was going through my training, uh, especially in Ayurveda, there was an entire section on it, on emotional freedom. It really focused a lot on 
what people need to be happy. Okay. They call them the four A's. Um, affection, appreciation, acceptance, and I always forget the other one, um, attention. For young people, for young people, those four A's are on steroids, okay? Part of the reason is, is that, <clears throat> is that until people reach the age of about 25 or 30 years old, their frontal lobe is not really developed. And so many of, and, and some adults too, operate this way, they operate with the primitive limbic brain, which of course is all goes on survival mode. So here's, here's what I would say on this, that many times people, young people, when they can't get the four A's, the attention, all the other things, they act out in ways that um, almost are adolescent in behavior and make certain demands that are not realistic, I would say. So, for example, for example, you have um, social influencers, for example, that are on Instagram and all, all these different uh, types of social media platforms. These are people that are so utterly insecure themselves, but they have a false sense of power. And so they look at someone who's had, at the age of 18, has had endless plastic surgery to make themselves look like they don't even look like. And a teenager takes a look at that or a young person looks at that and goes, this is what I need to do. People are going to like me if I do that. I am going to be accepted if I do that. I'll get the attention that I deserve. And there's all those other things that occur on social media as well. The, the uh, need to be liked all of the time. The whatever I do, it's my 15 minutes of fame. So I think that there's a, a bit of what I would consider to be... Um, a false narrative out there that says that if you meet these expectations then and you please all these other people then I will get exactly what I want and that doesn't occur does that make sense absolutely and I think when when you say that um, I um, the the thing that comes up for me is this whole idea of a choice you know, the concept of choice, which is one of the key foundational elements of our program, the MAPS program. So um, how, in your mind, does that affect our decision-making or our teens' decision-making abilities when we look externally for validations and, and then make decisions based upon those external sort of values? How does that how does that affect our decision-making? And, and what is the role of Dharma um, in that, does that can can Dharma be kind of a guiding principle for us to help us make better decisions? <clears throat> okay, well, let's talk a little bit about um, Abraham Maslow, and again, the things that make us happy. You know, the four the four A's. 
there is a concept within this entire emotional freedom um, aspect which is called self-referral and object referral. Object referral is when you place all your attention on outside factors in order to actually get your self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, as toddlers, we learn to do this, right? I mean, if we do something correct, our parents praise us. If we do something bad, our parents discipline us. So, so we learn very quickly to go on the outside. Self-referral is looking inside. And I think that's what Dalai Lama was talking about. I work on myself. I look inside to work on myself. And by working on myself and recognizing how perfect I am as an individual, then I can actually make right choices that are appropriate for my dharma and why I am here to serve. You know, Laylee, there's this... Um, movie out that I think that every parent should watch with their teenager or even with their young kids. It's called The Social Dilemma. It is about the detrimental effects of social media on young people today. I th Here's what I think ab about it and why it's so important to work on yourself. So important to have schools like yours to help teenagers, young adults to, to actually navigate these trying times because we live in a very trying time right now. But there are bullies sitting behind keyboards that do not have the capacity to actually say something face-to-face -to, -face to someone. Don't have the courage to say something face-to-face. -face. But boy, put them behind a keyboard and they'll, they be, become mean girls, mean boys, and just try to destroy people. And the reason that they do that is because they're so miserable themselves that the only way that they can make themselves feel better is by tearing down other people. So I always... And I wish that I had learned this when I was younger. I have always thought that it was so important to work on ourselves and not worry about what other people think of you. It's more important to think highly of yourself and regard yourself as a perfect person. You know, if we were all souls walking around if it was just spirits walking around and not physical bodies with emotions and all these other kinds of things, every single one of us would be exactly alike. We might have certain talents. We might have this. We might have that. But every single one of us would be perfect. And that takes years to learn that. And I think the trouble with social media, and I'm, I'm off Facebook now. I went off Facebook because I just got sick of it to be perfectly honest with you I thought it was so detrimental 
But here's what happens now in our society. If you don't think a certain way, if you don't follow the woke crowd, if you don't do this, if you don't do what other people tell you to do, you're crucified. And it's unacceptable. Diversity of opinion is no longer allowed. And teenagers in particular feel that. And when you say that, the, the thing that comes to my mind is this idea of complacency. Um, so, you know, um, can we can we use our human intelligence, reason and analysis to reshape our attitudes and our outlook? And, um, you know, can we look at um, the idea of contentment versus complacency and what that what that looks like? And in your mind, what is the difference between the two? Because what I hear you saying is that, um, you know, social media especially is creating a state of complacency for people to, to sort of accept a specific kind of norm in terms of their behavior. So um, to get complacent, meaning get kind of like, you know, kind of isolated behind a keyboard so that they can act and and sort of be and behave and feel certain ways that are no longer really going to serve their ultimate purpose or dharma. Well, and what happens if you're, I'll address that particular question, but what happens if you're different than most people or different than somebody else? At most teenagers spend a lifetime, their high school years, I shouldn't say a lifetime, their high school years and all those things trying to fit in. And that's that's been the case even before social absolutely. media. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, let me fit in. Let me be invited to the parties. Let me do this. Social media makes it even worse because people put on there, oh, I'm going to this party and you're sitting, you're a teenager and you're sitting behind the thing and you go, I wasn't invited, what's wrong with me? And so there is this inherent negativity that is, that is um, built into social media to make people feel bad about themselves. Yeah, yeah. And that is... And if you watch the movie Social Dilemma, the Social Dilemma will frighten you to death. That's why most people who start all the Instagrams and the social, uh, the Facebooks and all these other things don't let their own children mm. be on social media because it's. And I I've often figured that the people who are monitoring the posts that are on social media must have had some really screwed up years themselves to, because they're so nasty they decide what's appropriate and what isn't appropriate and it's it, any anyway so you act um you asked about contentment versus complacency so to me contentment it's such an important word there's a there's an elegance and a serenity that's associated with contentment that i think that people strive for a lot and so I just love the word. Contentment to me is an acceptance of where I am in my life right now, but a recognition that I am on a journey that incorporates a lot of different steps, 
a lot of different challenges, but it's a journey of growth and and um, achieving my dharma, trying to figure out what my dharma is. It's it's not complacency is a statement of I have reached my destination. I don't need to do anything else. And there's a hubris associated with complacency that is very detrimental. And I think complacency in, in many ways is the opposite of contentment, right? So yes. um, contentment is, is, is not not caring. It's not not wanting to grow. It's not not wanting to learn and not making the effort to advance. Whereas complacency is more... Um, it's like a smug feeling, yeah. you know, that, that I'm, I've achieved everything that I want. And in so, in so many ways, I've, I've kind of reached my, my um, potential. But that's really not the case. And I think that, um, you know, when I think about planetary contentment and peace, um, I think all of our activities must benefit each other. So going back to your point about being of service. Yes, absolutely. Um, and that includes working, so whatever job it is that we do. Um, and I think that when I look at sort of my state of com contentment is I always feel like I have to put, um, you know, something above everything else, which is human being values, our values, such as goodness, Um we have to sort of remember that we have to find our dharma and that that ultimately will lead us in a life of service to others, in my estimation. So be a good person, be a kind person, relate to others with warm human affection, honesty, sincerity, compassion. Um, and um, when we cultivate these, the main beneficiary is really ourselves. Right. And of course, then in turn, ultimately others and ultimately our planet. There's this entire discussion about emotional freedom, about the seven biological responses. Um, the first two biological responses are the lowest level of biological responses, which are truly controlled by the limbic brain. The first one we all know about fight, flight, freeze. You know, it's all about survival. You know, I live in a state of fear. I have to constantly promote myself, save myself, because someone is out to hurt me all of the time. The emotional side to fight, flight, um, freeze is called the reactive response. That is the psychological, emotional equivalent to that. It's all about controlled drama, um, a sense of guilt or power, uh, truly making people um, do what you want them to do because that's what I need you to do. The first two, unfortunately, most of our population, the world's populations, live in the first two stages of the biological responses. In order to move out of that phase, you have to shift your awareness 
from your ego, which always wants to keep you on edge. You know, ego means edging God out. So you always, always wants to keep you aware of your weaknesses. And I think of the ego as almost like a separate entity. Um, your weaknesses, your your foibles, all how, how you don't fit in, all those other kinds of things, move from ego to spirit. And the next and the rest of the biological responses are all a way to actually um, look at things at a higher level. If young people could learn how to jump out of ego and move more into the spirit side of things, they would recognize immediately that their uniqueness, their talents, and why they are here. And I would say to you the following. I view things, I view the universe as this big, beautiful tapestry. And inside this tapestry there are millions and trillions and billions of threads okay but each thread plays a critical role in how the tapestry comes together pull a thread out and you got a snag but if you think of yourself as an integral part of that tapestry then you spend time Instead of thinking how lousy I am, you think of what an important person I am. Chase after money and security, and your heart will never unclench. Care about people's approval, and you will be their prisoner. Do your work, then step back. It's the only path to serenity. And that's what I really love. Care about what you do. Don't care about what anybody else does. And that, that brings us back to the whole idea of self-regard and self-worth. So if, um, if our self-regard and our self-worth do not come from within, if we choose an external marker like money as a measure of our inner worth or others' opinion of us or the success of a project we're involved with, sooner or later, we're bound to be battered by life's inevitable changes. So the external markers are unreliable foundations on which to build our identity. So I'm curious now to sort of get a little bit personal with you to see how you measure your self-worth and how do you look at your self-regard? Goodness. Well, that is something that has evolved over the decades. Okay. Had I had a wonderful program like yours when I was growing up, I probably wouldn't have gone through so many years of personal angst. Um, and But I did. I went through a lot of years of uh, questioning my value, questioning my self-worth, um, wondering why I was here. I lead a very blessed life. Um, and I know, and I do know that. But you know, a person can have all the material goods in the world. They can have um, what on the outside looks to be 
all the uh, characteristics of success. But it is very true when it is said that money cannot buy happiness, money cannot buy contentment. And so I spent a lot of years trying to figure out what I wanted. Now, today, I mean, blessed with a great marriage, all these other kinds of things, but I would say to you that my evolution came when I start when when I went through all the certification programs and did the things that I needed to do to one work on my health, which is really important, uh, get enough sleep, which is incredibly important, eat the right foods. I mean, those are some of the basic things, but also figure out how I could serve. Now serve within my dharma there's a big difference between volunteering and serving within your dharma because when you're volunteering if you're just volunteering you're giving but you might not be getting anything back when you are serving within your dharma it's a totally reciprocal relationship where you get as much out of it as you put into it and so it's a huge difference so for me my journey has always been one of of really focusing on being true to myself being true to what i love being authentic within all my relationships recognizing that there are some people that are not good for me some situations that are not good for me and some situations that are nourishing for me. You know, Deepak Chopra said one time, I was reading a book about him. He says there are three types of people in your life. There are <clears throat> the people who want the best for you. The people who are ambivalent towards you. And the ones that really want to do you harm. A lot of times, people spend all their time trying to please the people who want to do them harm trying to win over attention and acceptance from them it's nuts it's absolutely nuts spend time with people who want the best for you and forget about those that don't and it took me a lot of years a lot of years. And, and I think the, the thing that, again, comes to my mind is um, the, the concept of nourishment, yes. you know, which you talk about a lot in, in class, which is, you know, nourishing not only your body, but also your spirit and your soul. And so those that nourishment can come from Dharma, but it can also come from people yes. who who can nourish your soul and your spirit. And and while you nourish your body and your, your spirit and soul too in your own ways. But one must be as selective about the people that they associate with as they are about the food. Because I will tell you the wrong kind of people can be just as detrimental to your health as eating endless bags of chips. 
very bad. That you know, Debbie, Debbie Ford, the late Debbie Ford, did a lot of work on dealing with shadows and things like that. And the one thing that she said, which I really love, is another one of my. You know, I'm a quote freak, so it's another one of my quotes. She said, "The world mirrors yourself back to you. So if you love, nourish, and appreciate yourself." eternally internally it will show up in your external life if you want more love give more love to yourself if you want acceptance accept yourself and i think that's really really important because some people will just go you know i don't like myself but i want everybody else to like me well it doesn't work that way you gotta like yourself first so I would say, if I could sum up just kind of what we've talked about, um, again, I will borrow from Deepak Chopra, that in taking a look at how to react differently to certain situations, moving out of fear into love, there's some very specific things that a person can do. And I think that these are really important. And when I think about myself, I think this is what I did in terms of my evolution and how I worked, really worked on finding my Dharma and loving what I actually do. So one is every person has to see himself or herself as the center of any creative process. Okay. It can't be all about just what is somebody else doing or why can't I emulate them. We all have our entire creative process itself and we have to find out what that is for us. That's why your school, again, is so important. You help them find that piece of what is their creative process itself. Then... We all have to accept responsibility for every single one of the outcomes of that creative process. Cannot blame anybody else. Whatever I do, I have to accept responsibility for it. That's incredibly important. Then it's also important to recognize that all thoughts have consequences. Every single thought has a consequence. And even the most minor. So... It's important to start thinking differently about yourself and about how, how you fit into this creative process as well. And then finally, you have to identify with a larger self out there, not just, wow, what's the coolest Gucci bag I can have right now and what's the coolest trend right now. There's a larger, more important picture out there, a larger self than the one living here in this body right now. Remember, and I keep, I've said this a thousand times in yoga when I teach it, it's important to remember that we are spirits having a human experience, not humans having a spiritual experience. True contentment is associated with a sense of meaning and happens when we deliberately cultivate certain attitudes and outlooks. If we root out destructive states of mind such as hatred, hostility, jealousy, or greed, and deliberately cultivate opposing mental states such as kindness, tolerance, and compassion, 
requires more effort can lead to lasting and sustainable happiness. Self-understanding and self-awareness are key principles of achieving satisfaction at work and being grounded in life. There is an intimate connection between how we see ourselves and how we relate to others and the world. We need to identify our signature strengths and our personal qualities. We're all special in our own way, and a realistic sense of self has less potential for bringing up psychological and emotional problems. If we have low self-esteem or a negative view of self, and we underestimate our abilities and qualities, if our self-concept is tied with work and making money rather than inner values and basic human qualities, like honesty and humility, we have not let in the light of our soul and our limitlessness. If we choose a job to assure deeper and more long-term happiness, if we consider the benefit or harm caused by our work, if we seek our livelihood in an ethical way by not harming or damaging others and not acting with deception or guile, we can begin to let the light of contentment in. When we appreciate the interconnected nature of all aspects of our life, then we'll understand how various factors, such as our values and attitudes, and our emotional state can contribute to our sense of fulfillment at work and to our satisfaction and contentment in life. We can then finally realize freedom from unhappiness or sadness and helplessness as we begin to let the whisper of contentment ring in our ears. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you'll join us for the next free online MAPS program workshop. I love to see the transformation of each teen as they gain the critical social and emotional skills through our program, gaining confidence in their own abilities and living the life of their dreams. To learn more about our free workshops and programs, please join our mailing list at mapsprogram.org. That's maps, M-A-P-P-S-P-R-O-G-R-A-M.org. And if you like what you've heard here today, please subscribe to our podcast and consider telling a few friends. Until next time.